0: Well, good morning. How is everybody this morning? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's the first Sunday of June. Summer is here, right? Does that mean summer's here? I know it's the 21st. Okay. But it's June. Two weeks from tomorrow is VBS. Vacation Bible School. Hundreds of kids will be on this campus hearing about Jesus, some of them, no doubt, for the very first time. And I'm going to be a crew leader. And I'm terrified. I get a half a dozen little boys to spend some 20 hours with all week. And... Uh, I went to orientation on Friday night to learn what I'm supposed to do. I still have no idea. Man, I was overwhelmed. Um, I mean, I like kids. I I raised a couple kids. But it's been a long time, and you know, as I'm listening to all this stuff and all these rules and all these things we need to do, I, I was overwhelmed. I just wanted to throw in the towel. I wanted to pull back, quit, go back to what I know, go back to what I'm comfortable with, and not be pushed out of my comfort zone. Just like the Jewish believers in the book of Hebrews. They were the same way. They were terrified of what was going on, and they wanted to go back to their old familiar ways, the old Jewish ways, the sacrificial system. But the writer of Hebrews has been telling them for 10 chapters, don't do it. Jesus is better. You have direct access to God, and you can literally come into the presence of God. So don't go back. Don't pull back. Keep going forward, which I need to hear, too. Keep going forward. You'll do fine. Um, I'll get wet. I'll be exhausted. I'll have all kinds of things stretched and pushed, but it'll be good. It'll be good. You know, the last two weeks, we've been, we've been seeing how the, uh, the, these Jewish believers in the book of Hebrews were neglecting meeting together. They were avoiding coming together and getting the encouragement and the challenge that they needed from each other to keep growing, to, to not shrink back, to don't bail out and try to, try to do this alone because we need each other. And this sounds really, really loud in my ears up here. Um, Could you tone it down just a tad? (laughs) I don't know how it sounds to you, but... Loud? (laughs) Sounds like I'm mad at you? (laughs) All I can say is if the shoe fits. (sighs) Guilty conscience. Guilty conscience. Right there. Thank you. Um, does it sound like I'm just being very pastoral and gentle now? I'm not yelling at you anymore. Sounds better. I thought I was yelling at myself up here. Um, anyway, the, the Hebrew believers were being encouraged, don't go it alone. Quit neglecting meeting together. You need each other. And, and as I was you know, thinking about this in terms of VBS, the, the VBS directors told us that if we have any problem or any questions, they're there to help. Uh, I wish they would just assign me one. Um, Just walk with me the whole time in this process. Because we need each other. We can't do this alone. We need help, right? We need the body of Christ to come alongside. Turn to Hebrews 10. Um, Ushers have Bibles back there. If you need a Bible or want a Bible, they've got one for you. You can use it. You can keep it. But we're in Hebrews 10 this morning. And today in our text, we're going to learn some of the reasons why these Jewish believers were tempted to drift away and go back to their old safe ways. The writer has been blasting them. If you were here last week, you heard Todd do an exquisite job on on, um, explaining the wrath of God. If that, you can call that exquisite. Heavy topic, but so important. And, and the writer of Hebrews has been telling these people, he's, he's been explaining to them, don't, don't neglect meeting together because the wrath of God is a real thing and you're in danger of judgment. And now in our text today, starting at verse 32, he, he kind of goes gentle. It's like he turned the volume down on the mic. That wasn't on purpose as an illustration of that. Um but it really fits he, he, he goes from heavy-handed theologian to soft-spoken pastor because this group of people has suffered man how they have suffered uh, look at verse 32 and i want to read 32 to 34 with some comments along the way 1032 but recall the former days and so the writer of hebrews is saying think back to earlier times When after you were enlightened, and and I believe and and many believe that this means they were truly saved. You had been saved. Earlier times, you got saved. Maybe it was soon after they were saved. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. This word struggled is a sports metaphor. It's the idea of an athlete who's struggling and straining. But instead of struggling and straining in in a contest, they were struggling and straining against sufferings. Verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Think about this for a second. They were were verbally abused in public. They were insulted. They were ridiculed. They were shamed publicly, mocked, belittled. This word affliction means any kind of pressure or stress. So there was this public uh, reproach, public stress, harassment, teasing uh, and so on. Verse 34. Oh, no, at the end of verse 33. And sometimes you were partners with those so treated. So it happened to them, but, but they also came alongside others that it was happening to. Verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison. Obviously, some of them were imprisoned. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Oh, let's stop here for a second. You joyfully accepted the plundering of, their, of your property. Now, we're Americans. Our little home is our little castle. And you better not infringe on my territory. And as I was reading about this, the first century Romans had the same kind of mentality. And so for for their property to be confiscated, the idea is maybe that the government officials rearranged the laws, manipulated it so that they could legally come to your door, give you an eviction notice and say, you got 10 minutes to clear out and this house is ours and everything in it. Doesn't that make your blood boil? We're taking your car, your RV, your boat, your house, everything in the backyard, all your furniture, you're gone. Where do I go? We don't care. We've got your, we own your house now. And they joyfully accepted that. How could they do that? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and a, an abiding one. This is how they could accept the plundering of their property. It's like, you know what? Take the house. I've got a mansion in heaven that lasts forever. So take this thing. It needs a new roof anyway. So that's on you now. Take it. No wonder they wanted to hide under the old Jewish system. It was safe. It would protect them from possibly this happening again. It appears that at this point when the book was written, there's some debate, but it, it, they were on kind of a lull, a persecution lull, if you will. It had happened in the past after they had gotten saved, and it was going to happen again in the future, but right now they were in a lull. and Because they were neglecting meeting together, because they no longer had the encouragement and the support and the help of other believers they were in danger. Look at that word in verse 33. The word in verse 33, partners. That word partners comes from the word koinonia, which means fellowship or relationship or the support of one another. Back in the earlier days, they had the support and the encouragement of one another so that when their property was confiscated, when they were being ridiculed publicly, they could come together and they could encourage each other. They could stand firm. But now, because they were neglecting meeting together, they didn't have that kind of encouragement. They didn't have that kind of support, and they wanted to bail. They wanted to pull out. So as I was studying this passage this week, I thought, how how does the church in Simi Valley, and I don't mean Cornerstone specifically, but including Cornerstone, the church in Simi Valley, how, how do we suffer in such a way that would cause us to pull back from other believers? How how does the church, how do Christians, believers, people that have been enlightened, people that know uh, where they stand with Christ, how is it that we suffer or go through some persecution or some ridicule or whatever that would then cause us to quit going to church, to quit meeting together, to quit seeking out the encouragement of other believers. And I, I thought of my own journey. And I thought about how the church has hurt me. And how the church, and I'm using that in quotes, the church at large, has hurt our family, and caused us to suffer. About 11 or 12 years ago, we were pastoring a church in Indiana, northern Indiana. And I I hit the end of what had been an ongoing process of burning out. And I resigned the church, and I went to work for my brother-in-law in in New Orleans. It was right after Hurricane Katrina. And uh, what we would do is survey damage and then build estimates for insurance companies. And let me tell you, there was a lot of damage. Everything you saw on TV was true, and then some. We spent about three months, I spent about three months living in a hotel uh, right by the French Quarter. We worked long hours, Sundays were days to catch up, Uh, there was no church, there was no support, I don't even know if churches were meeting, but if they were, I did not seek them out. I was pretty jaded about the church at this point in time, I felt like I'd been abandoned, I felt like I'd been betrayed, I felt like the church had disappointed me and, and, and failed me. And it was a very, very dark time in my life. And looking back, I realized that that I could have been so much better if I had not neglected meeting together. If I had had some other believers around me at that point in time. I don't completely blame others because I kind of pulled myself out. I kind of bailed. I kind of left town, too. You know, I don't think I'm alone in that journey. I run into people all the time who are mad at the church because it failed. It disappointed. It hurt them. And yeah, that's the nature of people. The church is people. And we fail. And we disappoint. And we don't meet expectations. Expectations. I have failed. I have hurt. I don't know, maybe somebody here in this room is disappointed at me, or I have failed. I remember years ago, a young lady came to me and and wanted to apologize for being angry at me and for being bitter at me. And I said, well, of course I forgive you. And I have no idea what I did. She wouldn't tell me, and I still don't know. Point is, we disappoint each other. And so we pull back. We create distance. You know what? That church, I'm not going there again. Those Christians, they're hypocrites. Anybody? No, don't raise your hands. Anybody know any (laughs) Christians who are hypocrites? Look around. We all are at some level, right? We all disappoint. We all fail. We're all inconsistent. But what do we do? We neglect meeting together because we've been hurt. We quit our community group. We quit going to church. We quit interacting with the very people that can encourage us and keep us going. But the writer of Hebrews is telling his, his, his readers, you can't stay there. Okay, you're pulling back, but you can't stay there. You've got to get back in the game. You've got to get back with other believers who can speak gospel truth into your life. Stop neglecting meeting with other believers who can stir you up to love and good deeds. We draw near to God by drawing near to other believers. Todd has hit that so hard the last couple of weeks coming off of Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And that same theme threads its way through our passage today. And so what the writer of Hebrews does now in verses 35 to 39 is he takes us through three cycles that explain the dangers and the benefits of not having others around us. There's no benefits to that. The dangers of not having others and the benefits of having others around us. And he uses this technique, I think, what, what, what I see here is this, is this saying the same thing and then cycling back around and saying it again and then cycling back and around and saying it a third time just to reinforce how dangerous it is. So that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time, looking at these cycles. And the first cycle is in verses 35 to 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. In this first cycle, the writer of Hebrews gives us a couple of things that we need to do. First of all, we need to keep our confidence. This refers, I believe, specifically to that confidence that we have to directly access God. I think he's referring to uh, back, in verse, uh, back in chapter 4, verse 16, where he uses the exact same word, and here's the two texts together. 4.16 4, says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And now he's saying don't throw away that confidence. Another word might be boldness. This, this certainty that we can come into the presence of God. How often do we feel like God is not there? How often do you feel like he doesn't hear us? And if he does, he doesn't care. Why should I keep reading my Bible? Why should I keep going to church? Why should I keep doing this whole God thing? I'm not going to my community group anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. Just forget it. It doesn't work. But, but he says here that, that we have confidence to draw near to find help in time of need. And you know what? Sometimes that help comes through people. Sometimes he uses other people in our lives. We we, we say, God, why aren't you helping me? And he says, I sent you a bunch of people to help you. Why have you stiff-armed them? The The writer of Hebrews says, don't throw it away. Don't throw that away. He also says we need to endure. This word means to stand your ground and not give up. It's the idea that when your basketball team is down 62 to 8, you get off the bench, you get back in the game, and you keep on fighting. It means you don't give up on people. You don't give up on the church, even when you've been hurt, even when you've been disappointed. To endure means to give it another go, to get back in the relationship. Don't abandon the church. Don't abandon those people that you need. You know, even in those dark days in New Orleans, I knew I needed to get back. I knew I needed to endure. I knew I needed to get off the bench and keep playing. And I did feel like I was down 62 to 8. But I'll do it eventually. Let me have my pity party. Let me let me brood a while. Eventually, I'll get off the bench and I'll fight back, but, but not right now. But why? Why should we endure? Why should we get back in the game? Well, the writer of Hebrews cycles around and comes back to give us the benefits. And he says our confidence has a great reward. And that we will receive what is promised. At least part of that reward is that we have direct, unhindered access to Jesus. And when we have done the will of God, and I believe it's the will of God to not quit, to keep at it, to endure, we will get what is promised. What is promised? What is our reward? I suppose this could be unpacked a lot, but... But I think the simplest, clearest, best answer is our reward. What is promised is a never-ending, fully satisfying, personal, without sin or sickness or death, face-to-face relationship with Jesus. In his presence forever and ever. That's a reward. Does that sound good? Oh, man, we have direct access right now. We can sit here or anywhere and come right into the presence of of Jesus and talk to him, but someday we can sit down face to face and he knows us and we know him and we have this relationship with him. And the reward of staying connected to the church, to a group of believers, the reward of that is that they stir us up to love and good work. Those believers keep us connected to Jesus to make sure we don't slip away, don't fall into sin. I know it takes work. People are hard. Loving people are hard. It's hard. Right? But man, it's so rich and so valuable. Last week, Todd said, we will not be the people God wants us to be unless we are in relationship with his people. You believe that? We will not be the people God wants us to be unless we are in relationship with his people. Don and I were at a wedding some years ago, a TED dig, and they had a dance-off, and we won. (laughs) <laughs> not because we dance well because we don't but because we were the oldest married couple left on the dance floor <laughs> it was a very young crowd and so the reward or the the yeah the prize for winning was to give the new uh, married couple a word of advice and i don't know it just came out of us we just said, never quit. You don't think that's too profound? <laughs> or you're just speechless, you're spellbound. <laughs> never quit. Marriage is hard, but don't quit. Keep at it. Keep keep talking. Never quit. You feel like it sometimes, but never quit. Never quit. And what is true of marriage is true of our relationship with God and with his people. Never quit. Keep going. Pull yourself back up. Keep going. Get back in the game. Get off the bench and keep playing. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't quit. Don't give up. And the reward and the promise is a vibrant relationship with the very God of the universe that will never, ever, ever end. Let's look at the second cycle now that explains the dangers and the benefits of not having others around us. And that's in verses 37 and 38. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now the writer of Hebrews does something really interesting here in these verses. He references two Old Testament passages. Isaiah 26, 20 and Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4. He doesn't actually quote them, but he freely adapts them for his purposes. He only uses a tiny piece of Isaiah twenty six twenty. In fact, if you've got any kind of a reference Bible, um, your footnote might not even say Isaiah twenty six twenty. I look through my—I have several study Bibles on my shelf—and about half of them reference Isaiah twenty six twenty, and half of them don't. So it was interesting. But look at look at Isaiah twenty six twenty. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. Isn't that great? Hide, close the doors. Now, let me me compare the two passages together. The tiny piece is that little part there for a little while. It is likely that the church to whom the writer was writing this letter was very familiar with the Old Testament. They were Jews. They were very familiar with Isaiah. They were probably very familiar with this passage. And in fact, it's possible that they were using Isaiah 26.20 to justify leaving the church, neglecting meeting with other believers, hiding away to avoid future suffering. I mean, don't you feel this way sometimes? I want to enter my house. I'm going to close my doors, I'm going to pull the blinds, and I'm good. Anybody feel that way? Yeah, there's times, right? But I think the writer, what the writer does here now is he gives them some amazing encouragement for them to realize, okay, that's, that's fine maybe for a moment, but you're still doing it. The little while is over. And he gives them now some amazing encouragement to to, to keep them uh, moving forward, to not hide away, to not quit. And he says in the verse that the coming one will come and not delay. What's his encouragement? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Okay, it's tough. It's hard. You're suffering. But the coming one, referring to Jesus, the the structure here is really interesting, the coming one will come. You might be discouraged. You might be frustrated. You might be struggling. You're unhappy. You're unfulfilled. You're mad at the church. You're mad at people. You're mad at life. You're mad at Trump. You're mad at ISIS. You're mad at politics. You're mad at, I don't know, you're mad at something, right? But Jesus is coming. You're like, so? Politics are still a mess. But what's the encouragement? When Jesus comes, what happens? Everything is set right. Justice rules. Sickness is eradicated. Your, your soul is fully satisfied in him. ISIS is gone. Politics are gone. Because Jesus is the king of the world. Yeah, that's an encouragement. But what about this phrase, he will not delay? Anybody feel like he's delaying? Anybody getting impatient? Well, the writer of Hebrews is telling us here, I think, that Jesus will come at exactly the time that he has determined he will come, and not a second later. There, won't, there will not be a single second of delay from His perfect, sovereign timetable. When He knows it's the right time to come, He will come. Can we trust Him with that? Do you like that? Not on bad days, huh? Like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Could you speed up your timetable? That takes faith. It takes faith to believe that Jesus will come at exactly the right time. And it's it's an okay time. It's the perfect time. And it takes faith. And that's what comes next as the writer of Hebrews quotes from Habakkuk 2. And he says, we must live by faith. My righteous one lives by faith. True followers. My righteous one here I think is probably referring to true believers in Christ. Live by faith. We're going to get into chapter 11 next week, but, but let me just jump to 11.6 right now. Because, because the writer, what he's starting to do is point us to faith. He's start, starting to lay out their faith. He's talking about faith. We live by faith. The whole Christian life is built around faith. This is so huge. Paul quotes this phrase from, from Habakkuk 2. He quotes it in Galatians and Romans. And if Paul wrote Hebrews, and there's a debate, uh, then he quotes it here too. But if Paul didn't write Hebrews, then somebody else who wrote Hebrews quoted it. So this phrase is so important; it's all through the New Testament. The righteous will live by faith. Hebrews eleven six says, "Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him." We simply have to trust and believe. We have to believe that God really does exist, that he really has spoken through his word, that he really will do what he said he will do, that he will reward those of us who continue to seek after him, that he's going to use people, he's going to use the church, That is that is messed up as the church is, the church really is the body of Christ, it is the bride of Christ, it's the only institution that God has given us to create Christ-likeness and encourage one another and build each other up, so we have to, by faith, believe this is where we need to be. And it's so important, faith is so important that in the midst of this sermon called the book of Hebrews, the writer is going to give us a mini-sermon called chapter 11. The great hall of fame of faith. And we'll unpack that next week. But now the writer of Hebrews cycles back around again and explains the dangers of not trusting that Jesus is coming. And he says this, if we shrink back, There it is. If we shrink back, God has no pleasure in us. Now this term, shrink back, I like this term. I think it's so descriptive. He uses it again in verse 39. I don't like what it means because it's an incredibly dangerous term, but it's so descriptive of what we tend to do when we get hurt or when we suffer or like I felt Friday night at VBS orientation, I wanted to shrink back. It's like, no, can I hide somewhere? And when things get rough, we want to shrink back. After I finished working in New Orleans, after the three months of work was up, as a family, we all moved to California to work full-time in construction. We began to look for a church and tried different churches in the area. We were down in northern Orange County. And uh, our kids got connected to a college group at this church and so we thought okay well they're happy there let's us go there too. But I just wanted to sit. I've been a pastor for 18 years. And I was tired. I was I was sick of it. I wanted to shrink back. So we came to church. We sat. We listened and we left. And the way I operate is I wanted to leave as fast as I possibly could. And I really believe I remember Sundays where Dawn and the kids were still talking and I went out and and sat in the car. I wanted to shrink back. Now now maybe that's what we needed for a time. Maybe maybe I needed that. And there's there's times I suppose to pull back and to take a break. and, and, And that may have been the time. But you can't stay there. The writer of Hebrews is warning us that shrinking back risks this thing called God having no pleasure in me. Now that's an interesting phrase. One commentator says this, My soul has no pleasure in him, might seem mild, but is actually quite ominous. I was running this by Dawn, and we were talking about it. She's like, no pleasure. That doesn't sound like as, you know, as big of a deal as a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And I was thinking about it, and I thought, well, what if, what if our daughter said to you, and, and our daughter and Dawn are best friends, what if she said to you, Mom, I have no pleasure in you. I find no pleasure in you. And she kind of went, <laughs> whoa, okay, that changes it. What if God looked down on me and said, Chris, I find no pleasure in you. Whoa. Oh, can you feel that? I find no pleasure in you. I had a hard time finding this phrase. We have a lot of commentaries that we use for the book of Hebrews. And I went through them all, and I had a hard time finding anybody that would talk about this phrase. They simply interpret as, God will reject us. It's like, how did you get there? Finally, I found somebody that sort of explained it a little bit. Most commentators simply say that finding no pleasure in you simply means you are rejected. Those who shrink back are those of people who are in danger of demonstrating that they were never true followers of Jesus. So they run the incredible risk of falling into the hands of a living God and discovering that God has rejected them. That's a scary place to be. Shrinking back is a scary place to be because the potential is there that you're not really a believer. Oh, don't shrink back. We live by faith, trusting that God is exactly who He said He is and that He is coming back in the perfect time to set things right. We need believers around us to keep pointing us to that and encouraging us in that direction. And when we feel like shrinking back, or when we actually do shrink back, there's people that can kind of grab us by the hand and say, Come on, come on, get back off the bench. I know we're down 62 to 8, but we got to get back in the game. It's okay, we might win. And even if we don't, we're going to play. Come on. Oh, we need people to do that to us. Look at this third cycle, which really is more like a summary statement, even an encouragement. Remember, the the writer of Hebrews has shifted from this this, uh, diatribe on God's wrath to being more pastoral. And he gets to this verse 39 and he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve our souls. It's as if he's laid it all out. And then he says, but that's not us. And he says we. He doesn't say you. He says we. He includes himself. But but Hebrews, the people to whom I am writing, we are not those who shrink back. Funny thing is, they were shrinking back. But he's, he's encouraging them to come along. We're not quitters. If we've been knocked down, we get back up. If we've been hurt by people, who hasn't been? We go back into relationships. If we've been disappointed by the church, we all have. We stay committed anyway. If our first 25 attempts at finding community failed, we try again. We go back at it again. And let me just say this, cornerstone, let's not be of those who shrink back. Yeah? Yeah? Why? Because those who shrink back are destroyed. See that word? That's an ominous word. That refers to eternal destruction, damnation, headed for hell, unsaved. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing to shrink back from relationships with people who keep us in our relationship with God because they can stir us up to love and good works. We are those who live by faith, and so, look at the text, preserve our souls. Now, I think the writer of Hebrews here is kind of flipping the readers on their heads. He's saying, you think this, but let me show you it's really this. Because no doubt, when, when they pulled back, when they, when they shrunk back, they were, they were trying to protect themselves from suffering and persecution. And when we pull back from relationships, when we pull back from the church, we're trying to protect ourselves from further hurt, right? We're trying to preserve ourselves. And what the writer is saying here is you're actually destroying yourself when you do that. If you stay in relationship by faith, you then preserve your souls. So the very thing you think you're doing to preserve is the very thing that won't preserve, and the very thing you think you don't want to do I'm confused now. Um, Is that close? You, You getting it? Anyway, don't shrink back. Because shrinking back will destroy you and not shrinking back will preserve you. So we're in this church in Orange County, sitting, doing nothing, hiding, shrinking back. And some wonderful people befriended us. And they asked us to join their community group. And we agreed. I think I might have said something like, but I'm not leading it. <clears throat> and that group began to breathe life into us. We could be ourselves. We could be real. We could love one another. They really didn't expect anything of us. We could just heal. But they, they gradually... I don't even know if they knew what they were doing. They probably did. But they gradually began to pull us off the bench. Gently. Slowly. And Before I knew it, I was teaching an adult class. And we continued to heal. And the body helped me get past my shrinking back. Those people are still some of our dearest friends today. We don't see them very often. Orange County is a long ways away. I mean the 405 that's like, you know, an ocean. <clears throat> but as I was working on this passage this week, I was convicted that maybe I'm still shrinking back too much. Maybe maybe I'm sh- still shrunk back more than I realized maybe not so much that i was in danger of eternal destruction but maybe i'm still playing it's too maybe i still have one foot on the bench you know kind of like i'm out here dribbling but i got one foot on the bench in case i need to jump back quick and it made me think that maybe there's different levels of shrinking back there are those that completely abandon god completely abandon the church completely abandon other believers and they just walk away and reject it all those are the ones who are in danger of destruction but then there's another level of shrinking back maybe not the wholesale abandonment of God but but maybe more of an arm's length I don't really need to be in community I'm doing fine I have a few friends we all think alike so they probably don't spur me on to love and good works but that's okay because I really don't want stirred up and provoked Only you know your heart. Only I know my heart. And it will look different for each of us. But let me just ask you, how are you shrinking back? In what way are you pulling back? In what way are you stiff-arming God and his people? Ask yourself that. For us, for for Don and I, we've moved a lot over the years we've made friends, we've moved on. we made more friends, we moved on. and after a while, you know, it hurts. it hurts to leave. i guess on the positive side, we have good friends all over the country. but we never see them. And it hurts to always be leaving dear friends. and and frankly, some of those relationships have gone really sour. And it was painful, and there was betrayal, and there was hurt. And, and so I think maybe, probably even unintentionally, we, we've avoided making friends. We've avoided building new relationships. We didn't really want to get into a community group. I mean, I'm the pastor of community groups, and for the first while here, I wasn't in one. It's like, how? See, I told you we're all hypocrites. I just wanted to avoid the potential of that hurt all over again. But we've recommitted. We're in a community group now, okay? So there's no hypocrisy in my life anymore. <laughs> we're building friendships. We had, our, we had our group this week, and we had the most amazing conversation where we were stirring each other up. And man, I learned stuff, and other people learned stuff it's so good and it's so rewarding I, even, I walked out in the living room the, the group was at our house Friday night and I walked out in the living room on Saturday morning and I said man that was fun last night I mean right there that's where we were all meeting and talking that was so good and I feel like okay maybe maybe we're not shrinking back as much as I thought we were yeah it's a lot of work yeah it's risky it's risky But I don't want to throw away my confidence in having access to the Son of God. I want to endure. I want to stay in the game. I want to keep on fighting. I want to keep on playing. I want to never quit, never stay down. I want to finish well. I don't want to hear God say, I don't have any pleasure in you, Chris. I want to hear him say, Well done. I want to live by faith because Jesus is coming. And pleasing Him is the only thing that matters in this life. Now we're going to worship God in this final song. We're going to sing rooftops. From the rooftops I proclaim that I am yours. But remember, we need others around us to keep us on track and keep us focused so that we can say from the rooftops, I proclaim that I am yours. Don't shrink back. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for Hebrews. Thank you for the the believers in that early church that suffered and then shrunk back. And thank you that we have this book that tells us, yeah, you've suffered too, but get back in the game. So Lord, I pray this morning as we hear your Spirit speak to us, as we sing out in worship to you, that you would convict each of us of what it is we each need to do. I pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.